Two weeks ago, I said we're going to study the teaching of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I introduced uh, Matthew 13, the Sermon on the Lake. And Matthew 13 has uh, seven parables about the kingdom of God. The first is a parable of a sower. And as I read it, I want you to imagine what the original audience at the uh, Galilee's lakeside felt about Jesus. Okay? So I'm going to read uh, verse 3 to uh, 9 first. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because soil was shallow. And when the sun came up, plants were scorched, and they were withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up, and the choked the plant. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has a year, let them hear. So imagine, if you were in the crowd, listening to Jesus. You know, you heard that this new prophet guy from Nazareth is actually an amazing teacher better than all other rabbis, let alone a mighty miracle worker. So you press in to hear a deep truth that he has to share. Maybe he's going to talk about heaven since he claimed to be from there, or some kind of a profound spiritual mystery about good and evil, or how to live a super holy life. But what do you hear? A short story on how to get a good crop. Maybe you are thinking, well, listen, Jesus, no offense, but I already know that. If I want to get a good crop, I need to throw my seed on the good soil, not on the path. Thanks, genius. And maybe you are walk away, dismissing Jesus as weird and overrated. And to them, Jesus said in verse 9, whoever has ears, let them hear. Here we can see the parables of Jesus is not about information, but much more about invitation. Invitation. Jesus invites us to not to just to hear his word with the ears, but to hear his truth with our hearts. And the first thing about hearing heart is a humility. When disciples later ask him that they didn't understand the deeper meaning, Jesus showed a spiritual picture of a soil, which is our heart. Now, with that mind, let's read the second part of the parable, which is a Jesus' explanation, the verse 18 to 23, responsively. Okay, so I'm going to read first, and then you read the following verse. Listen, then, to what the parable of a sower means when you, anyone hears the message about the kingdom does not understand it. Evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears a word and once received it with joy. 
but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears a word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. The message of today's parable is simple and clear. Good seed plus good soil result great harvest, right? Good seed plus a good soil result in great harvest. And here, Jesus compares us to soil. So we will do two things with this text today. First, we will examine four different soils of our heart. Four different soils of our heart. Second, we will examine our call as a God's source. As a God's source. So first part, the four soils of our heart. The first soil is a path, or what I call it, uh, roadie soil, roadie soil. Look at the verse 4 and 19. As he was, the farmer was scattering the uh, seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And Jesus explained, verse 19, when anyone hears a message about the kingdom and does not understand, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That is the seed sown along the path. Seed that lands on the path has no chance, but simply sits on the surface, waiting to become a fruitful bird. Soil, like a human being, is shaped by its environment. So, if a soil is walked on over and over again, beaten down, so that it becomes a pack hard, and is no longer fit for planting of a seed. Like the roadie soil, human hearts are packed hard, with when, when some kind of ideas walked on our ideas and over and over again. And these ideas are repeatedly worked on and packed on and the hardened our hearts are called presumptions. Presumptions. And to presumptions people, people who are confident about their ideas, the word of Jesus, are nothing but superfluous idea that they don't want to touch but leave it alone. As you will see, each soil in this parable represents responses of different people to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. So, for example, the roadie soil or hard heart points out the religious leaders or Pharisees who are antagonistic to Jesus. In previous chapter 12, when Jesus cast the demons and healed people, they deny his divine work and deliberately dismissed it as a bigger demon's work. They rejected Jesus' word and this because they thought they already figured out God. Howard Hendricks, former, uh, the late professor of uh, practical theology in Dallas Theological Seminary, once said this, one of the great killers in the Bible study or learning about God is, I already know that. This statement. I already know that. Presumptions of Jewish religious leaders about God 
literally killed Jesus later. They said, we know God, and what kind of God are you you know, trying to reveal to us? We already know. And they don't know Jesus, but they think they did. By the way, that's how many non-Christians think. Do you know why a good number of non-Christians do not believe in Jesus? As a former non-Christian, I can tell you this. They think they already know what Christianity is. You know, I didn't believe in Jesus, not because I didn't know it, but I, because I thought I knew. I formed a presumption about church and Christians from my little experience and a very limited interaction with the Christians. And then anytime somebody tried to change my mind about my little Christianity or belittled Christianity, I violently rejected it. So how do we help people with the presumptions about Jesus and the gospel? How do we help those people? Do you know how? Invite them to house church. And let them see our gospel functioning in our life or how our life is functioning or being managed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What our VIPs need to need what our VIPs need is not to hear another argument, but to see a living proof of God's existence in life of God's children and followers of Jesus Christ. You know, house church fellowship is far more powerful than any pastor's sermon to debunk false view of Christianity that many non-Christians have. Seriously. Amen? They need to see and they need to be corrected their view of you know, Christians through the real Christians and the real fellowship and real confession and how we take a serious, you know, and then, yeah, God answered our prayers. Second soil is a rocky soil. Verse 5. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because soil was shallow. When the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word at once receives with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Terrain of Palestine is a rocky one. Much of the land was covered by two, three inches of soil over the limestone bedrock. As a result, seeds scattered in such areas would, not, would begin to take a root, but the root would not grow deep into the soil. And when heat of the sun beamed down upon the young plant, it dried out and died. The shallow root couldn't take the heat. So rocky soil means a shallow heart, shallow heart. And the main problem of a shallow heart, according to Jesus, is that they don't have a staying power. They don't last long. They, were, they exist very briefly because Jesus said they have no root. And without root, the plant cannot access the nutrition in the soil and thus can sustain themselves. Here, we must caution against the danger of emotionalism in Christian faith and life. 
So, note, so listen this carefully. Emotions is valid. Emotionalism is not. Emotion is valid. Emotionalism is not. Experiencing great feelings does not necessarily mean someone knows Christ. It is common for many people to chase experiences, whether it's a Christian concert or a youth camp or even even our worship you know, service. You can chase the experience all you want, but you might not have necessarily gained the Christ. You know, such experienced chasers are like this soil, are like, like this soil, rocky soil. It's all the frothy emotions and crocodile tears and because they have no root. They never develop a deep faith and to trust in Jesus. You know, once again, do you remember the Jewish crowd in the gospel who were very impressed by the Jesus miracles? And especially, you know, when Jesus fed multitude of people supernaturally with the five loaves and two fish of a boy, what was their emotional response? Try to force Jesus to be a king. And some of them followed Jesus all the way to Jerusalem. But when their king Jesus was arrested and crucified, they all fled and turned their backs on Jesus. You know, very interesting point uh, on this part, on this here, that Jesus compared the persecutions and troubles to scorching sun. Scorching sun. You know, sun is actually necessary, even beneficial to the growth of a plant. If, only if, the plant has a good root, solid root. Likewise, authentic Christian faith, which has a root in God's word, actually grows under the heat of the sun. But the emotional shallow faith withers. As soon as a life gets hard, persecutions you know, occurs, and suffering strikes, they go from praising Jesus to blaming Jesus. Whereas a suffering... And trials grow and mature the Christian. Yet for those who have only superficially attached themselves to Jesus, the heat shrivels them up. So persecution is not the problem. It's the problem is a root. Problem is a root. Problem is not the sun. It's a problem is a root. Amen? Once again, emotions by no means are bad things for Christians. Indeed, I hope we should, you know, all have uh, great feelings and love for Jesus. But I once again tell you the true faith is a deep trust in, and confidence in God's word that goes beyond how we feel in any given moment. Only true Christians can praise Jesus through the sorrow and cling to Christ in tragedy. The third soil is a thorny soil. Verse 7, other, so, uh, other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plant. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears a word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of a wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. The seed that fell on ground covered with the thorns must compete with the already well-established invasive plant and stand a little chance. The thorny soil, thorny soil signifies divided heart. The seed that is choked by thorns represents the 
people, I'm a person who hears a Jesus proclamation, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of a wealth are choking God's words in them. Uh, by the way, the uh, worries of this life, literally in Greek, is the uh, cares of a present age. Cares for present age. It signifies the anxiety over daily life. And that anxiety is expressed in an attempt to secure life without reference to God, without relying on God, try to meet, to take care of yourself. You know, that is anxiety. And the deceitfulness of a wealth, you know, is a similar, has a similar hold in human heart. When material gain becomes a goal and definition of our success. By the way, I find the Jesus' description of a wealthy here incredibly insightful. Incredibly insightful and, uh, you know, piercingly true. You know, wealth inflates our ego more than anything else. As a pastor, I saw how sudden wealth changed some people from time to time. And one time, there was someone in my former church who had a successful IPO in Silicon Valley. And then, you know, he became a multi-multi-millionaire. And then he tried to give me advice how to run church better. I didn't ask his advice, but he wants to teach his pastor. He tried to help me to become a, a more effective CEO of my church. You know the most dangerous inflation? It's not economical inflation. Most dangerous inflation is spiritual inflation called the ego inflation. You know, have you met those people with an inflated ego? And nothing like a monetary success can inflate the human ego faster and larger. You know, the Greek word for the choke is a very interesting word. It's a sumpinego. A sumpinego is a compound word. Sum is a weed, you know. And pinego is a press. It's a pressed weed. It's basically spacing out. So with this divided and crowded, you know, commitment, you know, the world about God's kingdom and rule are not able to break through and nourish new life. It yields nothing because space was completely choked. There's no, no, you cannot move. The thorns are pressing you in. And this is why not just Jesus, Apostle Paul warned about the materialism or what do you call it today, affluenza, you know, desire for, you know, uh, you know uh, the riches. So in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9, Paul said this, People who want to get rich fall into temptation in a trap and uh, into many foolish, harmful desires that plunge the man into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Not only, you know, Apostle Paul, Apostle James also said in James chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, don't you know friendship with the world is a hatred toward God? Anyone choose to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God, and the context is those who are holding wealth instead of a 
using wealth to help people in need. You know, my last parting word to my daughter, oldest daughter who got married, those of you who were here in the two weeks ago heard, you know what I shared with her? Once again, give tithe. Give 10% of your income to God. Because they live in Silicon Valley, you know, just like Dallas, for even more than Dallas. I think a demon of a materialism is a walking over everybody. And the only way you can protect your soul against the materialism and influenza is to trust God by giving tithing. Okay? So that's my you know, last parting word to my beloved oldest daughter. Now, fourth and final soil is a fertile, rich soil. Verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears a word and understands it. This is the one who produced a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. The seed that falls on the soil that's been prepared and turned over and loosened until it's fine, replenished with the nutrition from decaying matters, guess what? This good soil thrives. Good soil is a thrives and product productive. Now, I want you to remember one thing about good soil today. One thing about good soil. Good soil does not happen naturally. Good soil does not happen accidentally, coincidentally. Good soil means being intentional. Someone is constantly working on. Good soil is intentional. Amen? Let's say it together. One, two, three. Good soil is intentional. Good soil is intentional. You know, I hear a lot of prayer requests that, oh, I want to read more God's Word. I want to have a daily devotion. If that's your real intention, then you need to go to bed early. You need to, you know, you need to really organize a day before in order to have, uh, you know, devotions or whatever in the morning. Now, Good soils, if you ask any farmer and gardener, they tell you good soil takes years to cultivate. It must be fed and nurtured by the remains of a plant that have, gone and have come and gone and must be worked and reworked so it becomes a supple and a fertile. And it must be replenished as the seed grows and draws on its nutrients. So, in that sense, good soil is like a pruning. You know, beginning of the year, my, do you guys remember my sermon about the fruit that stays? The vine, in order to bind to bear the fruit, what does a vine maker does, farmer does? Prunes the vine, prunes the vine. Alex and Joy were at the dating seminar yesterday, but do you guys remember the testimony of Alex Lee? Those of you, you know, just recently joined and didn't hear that he, he gave a, few, you know, a, a testimony second Sunday of our worship service. It's in YouTube, so you can go and just uh, do we still have that in the YouTube? Because Philip was uncomfortable about our finances being uh, broadcasted, so he might block. Anyway, so if not, then talk to me. Well, anyway, find out and then let me know if he's not there. 
Now, you know, Alex Lee is a GI doctor. But he made a huge you know, pay cut and changed his job from successful, busy, private practice to eight to five regular you know, employer at the hospital. Why? To make his heart good, fertile. You know the pay cut he, you know, he, he took? It's uh, more than uh, Jamie and I can make together. That's a huge pay cut. So good soil, in order to make a good soil, that's a price some people pay because it's worth it. Now, let me go to the second part of our you know, uh, study today. And uh, that one requires an answer, a question. I don't, do you notice today, Jesus called this parable, verse 18, parable of a soil. I mean, par parable of a sower. Not the parable of a soil. Don't you think a more, more fitting title would be parable of a soil rather than a parable of a sower? Why did Jesus call this parable, parable of a sower? Do you know why? Because Jesus called us, you and me, to be sowers for the kingdom of God. And here, I want us to know three important foresight as a God sowers. Okay? So those of you who thought the sermon is over, too bad. You know, I, I mean, you, you know, that's not me. You know, it's a tw I spoke only 28 minutes. So I have a still 20 minutes. No, I'm not 20 minutes. It'll be done soon. But anyway. So foresight of a sower, okay? I want to understand the three foresights of a uh, first one. First foresight, the sowers of God's kingdom must discern is not to be discouraged. Not to be discouraged. Three of a four soils did not work. What is a failure rate? It's a whopping 75%. You know, often ministry is like that. According to church statisticians, average church, listen to me, very interesting, average church sees a 6 to 10% of their first time guests return for the second time. Six, only 6 to 10%. And out of the second uh, visit, only 25% come back for the third time. Out of, uh, you know, 25% uh, 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 you know, that third time visit, 35% of a third-time guests become a regular attenders. In the, so at the end, only less than 2% of visitors become a regular attendees. How about forest? We had a 126 visitors on the record last year, probably more because we missed many people. And the, our rough estimation for uh, retention is guess how much? 24%. Whoa. You know, that's about one quarter of a success rate. Actually, it's exactly what the scripture, you know, I mean, this parable, you know. I want us to know that we should be discouraged for the losing people. You know why? Not just because that's a statistic. 
but because even our Lord Jesus lost a lot of people. Did you know Jesus lost a lot of people? Jesus never begged people to, oh, please stay with me. You know, he didn't do that. If you look at the Gospel of John chapter 6, you know, after Jesus performed the death-feeding miracle, and then they won, you know, same miracle over and over again, and Jesus refused, Jesus so, lost so many, you know, uh, disciples, not just a crowd. So he even asked 12 disciples whether they're going to leave him too. So verse 66 said, the, um, For this time many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. So Jesus asked the 12, Do you... Uh, you do not want to live too, do you? By the way, Jesus was not asking this question out of insecurity or sense of a failure, but with a deep concern. You know, here, all Jesus did was uh, telling the truth and uh, trying to actually give them a better bread than the barley bread they asked. Jesus offered himself that, uh, have me. Eat the living bread. I am a bread from heaven. Because once you have me, you can overcome all this, you know, physical, spiritual hunger. I am the real bread. Eat me, eat me, eat me. And they say, you are crazy. We want barley bread. Give a barley bread, barley bread. And then they walked away. And Jesus lost many disciples. We shouldn't be discouraged by people's lack of response. Instead of looking at the people left us, guess what? We need to focus on people stick to us. Yeah. My commitment to you, whoever is trying to follow God and sticking to the vision of a forest, I will be with you to the, you know, every step of the way. Only one quarter of our soils are fertile and fruitful. And on that note, I want to say, it's a forest vision to make everyone fertile and fruitful. That's why our motto is to be a good sheep to Jesus and to become a good shepherd to other people. Spiritual growth is none other than, first you know, heart of God through Jesus, our good shepherd and savior. And it doesn't stop. Once you know heart of God, you want to share that with other people. That is being a good shepherd. So, we are not content about the Sunday attendance. Seriously. We are committed to call you out to join our house churches. And also take, you know, come and take a weekday you know, good shepherd college classes. Now, Instead of being discouraged, sowers for the God's harvest needs to be diligent. That is a second foresight. You know, in order to uh, convert uh, this uh, rocky soil or thorny soil uh, to a good soil, sometimes we need to function as a scarce, you know, crow, scare crows, you know, doing our best to show off the power of darkness that steals away what spirit is sowing. Or other times, we are rock pickers. You know, farmers in the Midwest, they, tell, they, they say that you need to constantly clear the field of stone, which especially pushes its way up through the soil in each spring. And then removing, you know, the stone picking is a back-breaking work, but without it, there is a no harvest. 
And finally, sometimes we are wheat pullers and the thorn removers for those whose faith you know, might be gradually choked off by the worries of this life and deceitfulness of our wealth and desires of other things. So we kind of, you know, warn people and we, you know, give a personal individual exhortation. We encourage them. So we be diligent in sowing. And Apostle Paul gave a same command about being diligent. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul said, Preach the word, be prepared in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage people individually with a great patience and careful instructions. That's the, you know, discipleship. That's the life of the church. That's what we're supposed to do each other in the house church. On the note of a house church, you know, some people think a house church is just a group therapy. It's more than that, you know. It's not just sharing high and low. The center of a high and low is Jesus. You are high because of a, you experience God. That's what we're supposed to share. You're low because you're kind of a wonderful from Jesus or, you know, you forgot God. That is a how we, you know, we, it's not just, a, oh, I had a, I have a good, good week. I have a, you know, it's not like just a high and lows. The center of our high and lows is Jesus Christ. Amen? You know, Paul tells us in his letter here that in spiritual harvest or spiritual farming, we don't know when is the right time to sow the seed. That's what it means to preach or sow the, you know, preach the word in and out of the season. Be diligent. Share God's word all the time. And finally, such a diligence will be well be paid off, well paid off. That's the third and final foresight of sower. That you we will be delighted. We will be delighted. Because although only one out of four soils are fruitful, final harvest will be delightfully impressive. Jesus said, the the, 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 the seed in the good soil will bear 60, I mean 30, 60, 100 times fold of crops. And once again, Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary on doing good. At the proper time, we will harvest if we don't give up. And Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. This wedding was a second wedding in our family. So unlike the first one, I enjoyed it a little more. Because first one is always nervous. You know, second one, eh, you know, I, you know, I, I have some more, you know, it's, I have more room to enjoy. And most amazing thing is that looking at the, you know, slide of, a, you know, my, my, my daughter, the little baby transforming into beautiful, you know, young adult and bride and wife and hopefully a mother one day. You know, there was a couple pictures. She was sleeping on my tummy like a water bath. And she was standing on my back, you know, joyfully jumping on my back. 
doing, you know, doing a massage on my back. That little thing became a, a great and wonderful, you know, adult who loves Jesus. The little seed that we sow for kingdom's sake will surprise us. Will surprise us. Joachim Jeremiah is a German New Testament scholar. In his book, The Parable of Jesus, on this particular sermon, on this particular you know, uh, passage, this is what he said. Despite the meager response to Jesus' ministry, God will provide a spectacular harvest. It is this final detail that transforms the parable from being a simple illustration to being an enigmatic speech that reveals and conceals the secret of a kingdom. What is the secret of kingdom that is revealed and concealed at the same time? You know, secret of kingdom is none other than Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus Christ is a both seed of a kingdom of God and the sower of a kingdom of God. Jesus is a seed of God's eternal life. In John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus compared himself to the seed. Very truly, I'll tell you, unless a kernel of a wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. At the same time, Jesus is the sower. He sowed himself in his disciples with his love. And Jesus is committed to his disciples back then and to us now. And he helps all his followers become a fruitful and fertile in their life. That's why the last word and promise of the gospel of Matthew is, I'm always, always with you to the end of ages. Let me close a message with a quote from Pope Francis. In his book, Joy of the Gospel, Pope Francis said this, God's word is unpredictable in its power. The church has to recognize this unruly freedom of the word, which accomplishes what it wills in ways that surpasses our calculation and ways of thinking. You know, God's word, find the humble, desperate, grateful, heart will bear the fruit 30, 60, 100 times. Are you excited about this unpredictable, unruly, free, powerful word of God? God wants to give that seed in you. Let's pray.